This is a recording from a sermon from Light Church in San Diego, California. For more information, please visit lightsandiego.com. Uh, we are, we are going to be talking about judging tonight. Um, uh, but before we dive into this text, I want to just kind of set the table a little bit, especially for those of us who are just entering in on this journey. We've been going through a series called The Art of Human Flourishing. And we've been taking a look at the most famous teaching that Jesus has ever given, the longest teaching he's ever given, and it's found in Matthew, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's where Jesus, his rabbi, shows up on the scene, and in Matthew's gospel, this is the first teaching he gives publicly. And he goes up on the mountain, and what he's really doing is he's mirroring his Jewish world's picture of Moses. As Moses went up to Mount Sinai and gave the law to Israel, Jesus goes up on a hillside and gives a new way of living in his kingdom um, that doesn't do away with the law, but really illuminates what is really God's heart behind the law. And he does it masterfully. And, 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 and if you've been through the series with us, you know it has been one of the most challenging series I've ever studied, I've ever taught. There is things that have made you feel uncomfortable. And you, if you remember, I told you it would, right? There's one Jewish rabbi who literally says the history of Christianity is the history of, of Christians trying to avoid the Sermon on the Mount. Because it's that intense. It gets in your business that much. And, and so we've had some really amazing sermons, some uncomfortable sermons. But, the, but what I love is there's something so attractive about what Jesus is offering because he's offering us a new way of human flourishing. Because every single culture in every world and every single decade and century, there have been cultures prescribing this is what it means to flourish as a human being. But Jesus offers us a different way called his kingdom. And we have, uh, we have journeyed together through these things and these, these things he challenges, these things he draws into. And tonight we're entering the last chapter of it. So we're going to do tonight and next week's the last uh, message on the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it is incredibly powerful and profound what he's saying here. And it, what he's doing, again, if you're his original audience... You have had your entire worldview of God and his relationship with humanity and the law and how we live completely flipped upside down. That it's not, we've said this a lot, it is not about outward conformity, but it is about inward transformation. And how when the law was given, it was never meant to be for outward conformity, be about religious practices or spiritual status. It was always about inward transformation. This is what Jesus drives in every single time. And tonight's no difference. And so if you guys have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to read about not judging, especially for those who were just judging me. Let the Lord convict your hearts. Anyways, Matthew 7, starting verse 1, says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, 
and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, ouch, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything due to others, you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Um, there's a lot going on here, and it almost seems like Jesus is jumping around different topics, but I believe he really ties them together. That's, that's going to be our goal tonight, is to look at these three different segments of the scriptures and talk about them, but also to try and see what is Jesus doing here as he's developing this thought and as he's presenting it to, to people. And so the first thing, we're going to talk about three things tonight. Number one, judge clearly. Number two, ask boldly. And number three, love intentionally. These are the three things that Jesus just touched on uh, in this part of his sermon. So we're going to kind of walk through each of these three things and go through the, the, the chapter kind of verse by verse and take a look and unpack and see what is Jesus trying to get out here. So if we look at the first one, judge clearly. As he opens it up and he... And he just kind of just nails you with it. We're going to take a look at a few different things that are going on here. First, the, the very first verse, he says, Do not judge or you too will be judged. Um, if you read that, honestly, it should give you this sense of soberness immediately. Because every single one of us makes judgments a matter of fact, it's how we survive. Right? We may, it, it's how we move forward. It's how we progress in life. And so judgments are things that are actually a very healthy part of our lives. But at the same time, what seems to be happening here is, is he's talking about, and the Greek word here for judge is everything, but the problem with it is this Greek word for judgment or judging is used for lots of different types. It's used in the courtroom setting. Uh, it's used for kind of moral discernment. It's used for how you look at your neighbor. And it's used in all these different contexts. But if we take a step back here, it seems that Jesus is talking about something specific that is really talking about this idea of an appointed authority figure who makes a judgment over someone's life, like a king, like a judge. And, and he challenges us that do not judge because you two will be judged. So there seems to be some sort of relationship between these two. And I don't know about you, but this is something that no matter how long I follow Jesus, it's something that i always having the Holy Spirit work on me with. Well, I'm sitting there this morning and I'm serving breakfast and I'm filling up people's plates with potatoes because that was my station. And I, I know I'm preaching this tonight and I'm realizing that in the moment, as people are walking by without even thinking about it, I'm making judgment calls on who I think they are. And I'm just, and I, and I just in that moment, it's like the Holy Spirit says, stop. You don't know who they are. You're not the judge. This is a human being, but it's, but it's in all of us. If we're just honest, there's these moments where we just immediately say like, oh, that, that, you're that kind of person. Whether it's how they dress, how they talk, what they drive, where they live. 
we have these filters that kind of tell us, and we, and no matter how much we think, no, we're past that. I don't see. I'm, I see everyone equal. We don't. And the warning is the reason why you are not to judge is because you will be judged. There's this relationship between this. And and then here's the concept that Jesus is bringing forth that is actually liberating if we let it. The reason why this is good news is because if you're not the judge, someone else is. And I believe that this is crucial for chapter 7, both this week and next week. We have to understand, by Jesus saying, do not judge, what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, you aren't the judge, someone else is. But what's amazing is we find out through the rest of the Gospels, Jesus doesn't even say that he's the judge. As a matter of fact, there's sometimes where he says, I don't make judgments, that is up to my Father. So he's really in this moment saying, Father God, our Heavenly Father is the only judge you are not. James 4.12 says it like this, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who's able to save and destroy, but you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And so we have to stop in this moment before we move on the rest of chapter seven and understand Jesus is making a bold statement that you are not, not only you are not to judge, you are not the judge. The heavenly father is the judge. So uh, my family is in town. So my family is actually here in this room right now. I've traveled from uh, Alabama and the East Coast. And so if you've been around our house and all the cousins show up, I think on my wife's side of the family now, there are um, close to 25 cousins. You ever take a few, right? Because I'm not a mathematician. But they're everywhere, right? Like, and like everywhere you look, it's just they're swarming around. And so we're at... Um, uh, my, my mother and father-in-law's house and they're playing and they have this beautiful backyard and there's a jungle gym and so all my nephews who are like 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 all in this age group are playing baseball right and I'm just observing and I'm sitting there watching them play baseball and they're taking turns pitching and what happens is as the pitcher throws the ball is immediate yelling erupts because the person pitching says that was what? a strike! And what does the person at bat say? That was a ball. That was a ball. And they're and arguing immense. And then someone finally hits it. And they're like, that was a foul. No, that was in. Did you get him? And they're just arguing and arguing and arguing. I'm just kind of watching. just kind of entertained. And then finally, I'm just kind of frustrated. I'm like, you're not even playing the game. You're just arguing because everyone's the judge. So I stepped in and I became full-time pitcher, right? And by becoming the all-time pitcher for both teams, what I was really saying is I'm the judge. And so when I, threw it to, when I threw it to my nephew, right, he's one of the older nephews, and he's like, that's a ball. I'm like, sorry, it's not. It's a strike, because I said so. I'm the judge. <laughs> and, then, and so and what happened with the game is, although they didn't like it, the game started moving on. It started having health. It started having progress. Not because it wasn't everyone saying, no, 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 this is what I think, this is what I see, this is what I feel. But all of a sudden, there's one central person that says, no, that's in, that's out, that's a strike, that's a ball. You made it run. And, and there's one central person. And all of a sudden, what happened was peace. And what happens in a society where they are completely restricted and they have countless judge phrases from the Sanhedrin to the Roman Empire, they're constantly bombarded by different judgments is they begin to start picking up that same mentality and Jesus enters in and says, listen, listen, you're not the judge. 
There's one judge, like it says in James 4. And he calls him to this place and all of a sudden brings peace, even though there's this initial reaction of, I don't want to be judged, right? I want to be my own judge. But it actually brings about something of order. The second thing we pick up from this idea is that in verse 2 it says, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged with the measure you use it. It will be measured to you. And so the second point within this judgment is that judgment is reciprocal. This is why this is a big deal. So how you judge others matters because it's going to be coming back to you in some sort of fashion of the same way. That should, again, be a sobering reality. And I get this at a small level as a dad because all um, out of my daughters, there's one daughter who is very much uh, a person of order. This is mine. This is yours and likes plans and structures. And then there's other daughters who's like, everything is free. And I'm an artist and a creative and a feeler. And when they get toys, it's always really fun to watch because one of them doesn't want to share, right? And one of them... Um, is really willing to share, but all of a sudden when the tables are flipped, I'll watch the daughter who doesn't like to share really want something from her sister. And as her father, I'll say, listen, sweetheart, I know you want that, but do you remember how you don't ever share your toys? Do you remember that? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, how, do you, how does that make you feel? She's like, well, I really want to play with it. I'm like, that's fine. I want you to remember that. Because there is this reciprocal relationship that I want to ingrain that growing up. Listen, when you withhold and you hold something against someone and you carry that with it, God is saying, listen, that, that doesn't just go unseen. You are actually sowing something. So when you give mercy and when you give grace instead of judgment, there is good news for you because guess what's coming your way? Mercy and grace. When you hold a tight grip on someone and says, no, 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 I, I'm owed this. I'm the judge. This is right or this is wrong. There's also something coming back your way, and it may not be what you want. And this is kind of the heart of what Jesus is trying to get at. Verse 3 moves on and says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? Jesus is hilarious, right? He's using Jewish hyperbole to make a point, but it's actually brilliant. He says, look, you see a speck in your brother's eye, and you want to go and remove it, but you can't even get close enough to remove it because you have a gigantic plank sticking out of your head. And so when you try and get close enough, you're bonking heads, things aren't right, and it kind of uses this humorous analogy, but what's happening here is incredibly profound. And the point is that Jesus is trying to make here is this. You always have the plank, they always have the speck. I'm going to say this again. If you want to judge clearly, you always have the plank, they always have the speck. So just, I want you to, just, let's make it so applicable. Think about the person you've been judging right now, right? Because we all have them. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a boss, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's, it's whoever it is in your world that you have just been like, man, I, I can't believe they would do this thing. And, and what you're doing is you think there's something in their eye. Look at them. And Jesus, and he doesn't disagree with you. He's like, true. But there, theirs is a speck and yours is a plank. 
And what we do is we become, we justify our own sin by saying it's not as word, it's not as bad as theirs. Therefore, theirs is the one that needs to be dealt with. And Jesus right here goes right to the heart and says, no, 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 you always, you always have the plank, and they always have the speck. And you might be like, but they've done way worse to me. And that might be true. But as long as your focus and your energy is going into their brokenness rather than your own healing, then reconciliation will never happen. And so Jesus is giving this really uh, challenging thing. And this is where we get this idea. Uh, you've probably heard this said. It's common in church, right? Love the sinner, hate the sin. I just want to talk about that for a second. Because it's become this really popular phrase for the past 20, 30 years, however long, right? And it kind of gives you a sense, like, and maybe it's like kind of a, a something in your world. You're like, oh, man, I love the sinner. I just hate the sin. And it kind of gives you the right to feel judgmental. Like, listen, man, I, I love them, but what they're doing is so wrong. The problem is that's not in the Bible. And secondly, if we're actually looking at the Bible, the quote should probably go something more like this. This is a quote from Mike Erie, who's a pastor up in Orange County. He says this, Love the sinner, hate the sin in your own life. And when I heard that, it just, it just draws this thing in here. Love the sinner. Yes, period. If you're going to hate sin, hate the sin in your own life. What's wrong? What's dysfunctional in you? I mean, even the imagery, isn't it interesting that Jesus uses imagery of a plank of wood? Isn't that funny? That's the same thing that Jesus died upon. But the thing stuck in your eye is the very instrument that was used to torture and kill your Savior. The next time you think like, well, my problem isn't that big of a deal. My sin's not that big, but their sin, oh my gosh, they're so struggling. He says, no, 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 that sin that's stuck in your eye is the very thing that I went to the cross on and for. Love the sinner, hate the sin in your own life. Now, I want to just take a pause here because a lot of you could just be like, that's the problem, though. I, I hate the sin in my own life. As a matter of fact, I kind of hate my life. I hate who I've become. I hate this feeling of guilt. This is exactly why I don't go to church, because here he goes, the pastor's preaching on stuff, and I feel guilty again. I hate feeling guilty. But I want to share some good news with you. That plank that every one of us has stuck in our eyes tonight, do you remember our very first point? There's one judge. That, and again, that might frighten you. Like, oh, that's the point. I don't want to have to deal with a sense that there's something wrong with me and there's this judge that's looking at me and facing me, but I want to read you guys something. In 1 John 2, it says this, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous 
He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Guys, this is amazing news for you. Yes, the Father is the judge, and that does bring a weight for us, but what we have the reality is in this moment is we don't get to stand here tonight feeling guilty about the plank in our eye. We get to stand here feeling liberated because we have a lawyer, an advocate, a representative on our side, on our behalf, calling out not our sin, but his righteousness. 2 Corinthians 5 talks about that he became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of Christ. So when, our, when we stand in the courtroom, the divine courtroom, and we're looking at the judge and we're well aware of the sin in our own life, these are moments not where we feel the heaviness of shame, but the liberation of righteousness that Jesus has brought because he's our advocate. That he stands and actually says day and night interceding on our behalf before our Father, saying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Look upon me. And we are hidden. For those of us who have given our lives over to Jesus Christ, we no longer have to stand there with a big plank sticking out of our eye before the cosmic judge, but rather we stand hidden in Christ and his righteousness, and he delivers us from the shame of that. But part of that means that you're not the judge. We're not the judge. We Yes, let's let the Lord say, God, come and change me and that person who is doing wrong. But this is the second part. I love it. Jesus never says, don't remove the speck. And this is where a lot of Christians just be like, just let everyone live how they want to live or it doesn't really matter. No, there is a spot in here. In verse five it says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Have you guys ever removed something from someone's eye before? Is it not the most frightening thing? Have you ever felt an eyeball before? It's gross, <laughs> right? There's nothing cool about it. Like I, I, I remember there was one time where something got in my child's eye and I had to literally go in and remove it. And can I, can I tell you, the, the care and sensitivity and the time it took to remove that should reflect our ability to enter into those t- conversations with the people we love. But some of us, in the name of love, just say, I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong, everything that's going wrong, because I love you. I want you to be better. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You don't get it. You're not the judge. You may have space to remove that speck, but you have some work to do on on your end first. And once you do, once Jesus has dealt with the junk in your own life, then you have this ability to go in and artfully and carefully Gently remove those damaging things from our brother's and sister's eyes. But if the reality is we're on one end of the spectrum. Some of us in this room never want to remove planks because we're afraid of hurting someone, or specks because we're afraid of hurting someone. And some of us in this room love removing specks, but we're whacking people with our planks in our eye. So I don't know where you are, but the reality is Jesus is calling us into a, a, a third space saying, let me come and deal with the sin in your own life so that with the grace you've received, the mercy you receive, you can go in that grace and mercy and help bring wholeness and healing to those you love. And I just want to kind of leave with this, this last thing, though. Because some of you guys just got the green light. It's like, thank God I can go finally talk to that person about how much they messed up. I, I do want to say this. The Bible is very clear that it gives us guidelines on who we get to judge. And it's not those outside 
of relationship with Jesus. I think where the church has gone into a lot of trouble is when they have found themselves casting judgment because they have morality, they do, they have laws, and they have a standard they try and live by, they begin to start placing the weight of that standard on people who've never said yes to following Jesus. And that's not fair. Matter of fact, Paul says this in his letter to 1 Corinthians, he says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside and so here Paul is making this point that are there places where you get to take specs out? Yes, but, but be, be mindful that those who have yet to make decisions to follow Jesus will not live under the same standard of conviction the Holy Spirit and the Holy Scriptures may have put on your life. And that's okay. The goal there is not morality and behavior. The goal there is grace. The goal there is Jesus drawing them into his in relationship with him because of kindness and mercy. So after this of talking about judgment, we're going to move through the last two points really briefly here. Jesus says something here that's really, um, it's really challenging, and I want to be sensitive to it, but at the same time, I don't want to move around it uh, just because it's sensitive. But he says this, ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you, for everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? It'd be kind of funny, actually. Might try that with Augustine today. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, I love Jesus' tactfulness, uh, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him. Now, the, the, the most shocking thing about this is, remember the previous passage, there's no chapters and verses here, right? Jesus one long teaching. The setting of Jesus' previous comments were in a courtroom, right? It's, it's, it's a judge. It, it's someone there being judged and judging others. It's a courtroom language, courtroom setting. And then he moves in and starts saying, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. And in the, in the original audience imagination, they're still picturing themselves in what? A courtroom. And as people who have been enslaved for over 700 years, you can imagine this sense of like, yeah, that's right. I'm going to ask this judge to bring about justice for the oppression that we have been under as the Jewish people for centuries. The only thing we've known, we're going to ask, we're going to seek, we're going to knock for this thing. But what's incredible about what Jesus does here is he, as, as you're imagining a courtroom, he immediately shifts the picture from a courtroom to a father and a child. This judge is also your dad. This is powerful. Because that didn't exist in, in ancient Palestine. Right, you would immediately think of Herod or the, the Sanhedrin or the Roman ruler in your area, right? But he, he shifts your imagination and you're asking, seeking, knocking. You're not just going before a judge, you're going before your father. And how you approach him matters. So just a couple of things I want to bring before you. The first point is when it comes to asking First observation is children don't stop asking and parents don't stop giving. 
And this is huge because I, if you've been around kids, they have no problem asking again and again and again. It's so annoying. I wish they would stop, but they don't. They just continue to ask and ask and ask and ask some more. And I just, and we come up with statements like, wait till I'm done talking, or say excuse me first. This is not what God says. He just says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. When, when Jewish people use something twice, it's a big deal. When they say something three times, it is as if they are shouting it with an exclamation mark. Like, just ask, seek, knock, come to your Father and ask for these things and if we're honest every single one of us would agree like yeah i like to pray but if we're really serious when it comes to asking for big things every one of us tiptoes around the idea and says lord and we used to say lord if it's your will because we're so scared of being let down again we're so scared that what if the answer is no But I love that the picture that Jesus is calling us is not to a, it's not to someone in the courtroom, but it's a child and a father. I've never known my children to not ask me, even if they think I'm going to say no. They ask and they ask and they ask. And then he challenges our understanding of parenting. He says, you're evil, but you give good gifts. And what that means in that moment is if we, if I've stopped asking God for things, it is a reflection not of my faith, but my understanding of his goodness. And Jesus goes right to you and says, listen, you're evil when you give good gifts. God is not evil. He's good. How much more will he long to give you? But that, we're just honest, that conflicts with sometimes our experience or what, our perception of what God should have done. Like, God, you should have shown up. You should have given me this. Why didn't you answer this prayer? And Jesus goes right to you and says, you keep asking and seeking and knocking just like a child does. Your father is good and he gives good gifts. And so some of you just and I have come here tonight and you have stopped praying. You've stopped asking God for things and you have settled for a life that is safe and you've called it content. But God is challenging you to a new place and says, would you look at me as a father again? And when you come to me and ask me for things that you've been too afraid to ask, would you come and seek for something you've been too afraid to seek for? Would you come and knock? And the, the Greek word used is a repeated hard knock. You don't stop knocking. Ask of me. And I believe the second thing I want to get to, the, the thing I want to get here is, the reason why God wants us to ask, seek, and knock is not because he's holding back and saying, ask me again. Let's see what you got. I'm convinced that the reason why he says to ask and seek and knock is because it does something in us. Because the alternative, the minute you stop asking, the minute you stop seeking and knocking, something in you starts to die. And so the reason he's so passionately drawing us into the spacing is that I want you to come to me and ask, I have good things for you. Luke's account of this actually refers to this, I, how much more will I give the Holy Spirit, right? And so it may look different than what you're wanting, but that's not the point because when we ask, seek, and knock, it does something in us. 
We become different in the asking and the seeking and the knocking. What happens is we become dependent, become faith-filled, rather than self-sufficient and fearful. It's healthy for our soul to ask God. And the last thing here in this section is love intentionally. Verse 12 says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the Law and the Prophets. Again, this is big. Law and the Prophets is the whole Old Testament. right? It is the Jewish Bible. And so Jesus right here is saying, The entire Bible as you know it is summed up in how you love one another, how you treat other people the way you've been treated. And as a church, we will never stop talking about love. We'll never stop talking and singing about how God loves us and how we are to love the world because according to Jesus, this is what it, it all sums up to be. And maybe you're here now, you're like, that seems like three different points. Okay, don't judge, ask, and love. But I think what Jesus is doing here masterfully is he's actually all pointing to what? Inward transformation. He's saying, listen, when you judge people, you are making them small and you great. When you don't ask, when you don't seek and knock, you make God little and yourself great. But when you don't judge, people become great and you become little. Right? When you ask and seek and knock, God becomes big and you become small. And when God becomes great and people become great, all of a sudden you start loving other people the way you'd want to be loved. You see, Jesus adds this on at the end because he knows that loving people is not just the the motivation, but it's also the end goal. That when we stop looking at other people like they're the problem and we have it together, when we stop looking at God as someone who's probably not going to show up, then we can actually start loving people radically. When we actually say, man, I I know you have problems, but I have more. God, I I know you haven't come through the way I wanted you to in the past, but I'm not going to stop asking. And when you see your neighbor on the street because you believe in the bigness of God and the dignity of people, you will start to treat them and love them in ways that you never would have before. But this all ties together and and it points to love. Not judging people points to love. Asking God big prayers points to how we love people and how we love him. And so one of the things we can end on tonight, I love what John Wesley says, says the judging that Jesus condemns here is thinking about another person in a way that is contrary to love. And so here we are again, as a, as a new church coming back to the point, are we loving people? Are we treating others the way we want to be treated? And so as as we close tonight, just a couple of things I'd love to just challenge you on. Because maybe it's not, loving is not just your spouse. It's not just your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's not your neighbor, your coworker. Sometimes loving is, is, is your enemies. 
Sometimes loving is bigger and broader than we could ever imagine. And when we let the Holy Spirit come and just challenge us and say, would you love them? Would you treat them the way you want to be treated? Would you let God be judged? Jesus be your advocate? Would you ask God in such a way as you are a little child asking your good father? Father.